I did not like having autism. And I think in a way I was almost trying to like, I was trying to like push myself out of autism. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Are those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Max. Now, Max, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> what is your secret? When I was growing up until I left for college, I was extremely abashed for having autism. Mm. So you carried around for the longest time that you had autism and you didn't share it with anybody. Well, I was diagnosed Mm -hmm. uh, when I was 18 months old. And this was in like 1995 when autism was fairly new. Um, But uh, my family knew that I had autism. Um, some kids knew that I was a little off, but they didn't know the term. Right. Um, because I definitely did stick out like a, what's that phrase? You stick out like a sore thumb. Sore thumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do want to ask, how did your parents know at 18 months? That's so young. So what were like the signs? Cause I know nothing about autism. Like, I'm so glad you reached out. I'm so glad you're coming on because I really want to be educated and my listeners to be educated. So please like any information. So I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, but from what I vaguely remember from what they've told me, I was not talking. Mm. Um, I actually didn't learn how to speak until I was four. Um, I was having sensory issues and, um, I just wasn't from, I also think that I'm not a hundred percent certain that, um, I wasn't really playing with other kids people yeah other kids around my age so i think those were the things but i'm not a hundred percent certain yeah because i have adhd and my mom knew from a very young age as well like i i i talk about it i could not learn the alphabet like to save my life and she was so frustrated so i always felt other than like right on the outside did you feel that way growing up yeah very much so um So I did not really understand, like, growing up, like, I didn't understand how, like, kids communicated or I didn't really get, like, the social and teenage jargon of when, of how kids communicated. And because of that, I was kind of, um, I did have some friends, but I definitely felt, like, a bit 
you know, like socially isolated yeah. from my peers. I, if any, like this happened more so when I was like in third, fourth and fifth grade, when anything abruptly happened mm-hmm. and I wasn't, um, it kind of came out the blue or if it was like off routine of my schedule, I would just have a te- uh, tetra tantrum. Yeah. Because you felt out of control or like things were out of the norm for you? Out of the norm. Yeah. yeah. Not out of control, but mm-hmm. I just, I really like, I really liked having like a very stringent and stoic schedule. And anytime that went off of track, off track, then it really, it just like messed with my psyche. Yeah. Do you think it was like, because I love structure, like there's something about structure when you have structure and what through your day and like it's planned that there's a sense of like calmness and that, you know, what's next. So if anything deviated from that, it was like anxiety driven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, individuals who have autism and some others who have ADHD like yourself or even ADD, like structure yeah and when structure is you know off balance or gets thrown out the window um neurodiverse individuals like myself tend to they they just tend to really like they they just can't handle it as i've gotten older i've gotten much more used to it i've gotten a lot of like behavioral therapies that have really you know through like OT, occupational therapy, speech therapy, uh, CBT, and just joining like activities that have helped, you know, my brain and my autism to, you know, get structured to everyday life. But when I was very little, like eight through like 12, it was really, really difficult for me. Yeah. Can you take us back to that difficulty? Did, and I also wanted to ask, did your parents have difficulty as well? Like I said, my mom, like it was very hard for my mom. Um, God bless her. I love her, (laughs) but you know, they don't teach parents how, right. There's no manual to how to like help your child when they're struggling. So what, how did your parents handle it? So I actually, it's weird. I've never really asked my parents how they handled it. I, really? I no. <laughs> oh my I God, probably, let's get them on. <laughs> so um, just some backtrack. My parents are actually divorced. Um, they divorced when I was like eight or nine. Um, but even though they were, they divorced mm-hmm. and, you know, I think they did a fairly good job with like trying to like, structure things and trying to like keep keep me occupied and both of my parents remarried and my step parents you know my stepdad and stepmom were really helpful and are still really helpful with me and like getting acclimated to my autism mm-hmm. if i were to guess i'm sure it was pretty stressful for them yeah. especially when i was in elementary school because you know like they were trying to like help me and I have a younger sister who is 20 months younger than me. Oh, and like two babies. They had two babies yeah, at yeah. the same time. Oh my God. Yeah. God bless your parents. That's a lot of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just one baby's hard enough. I can't 
when people have like two in diapers <laughs> at the same time, it's like, oh my God, God yeah. bless you. But yeah. I actually didn't understand the concept of divorce when I was nine. I just didn't. thought they were kind of doing like what I considered in child's terms, like a rumspringer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just thought like it was like a rumspringer, like like yeah. they were just kind of like taking like in my mind I thought they were just taking a break. And it wasn't oh. like when I was like 10 that they were like that I was like oh they that I learned the concept of like divorce and whatnot. I, you know I just didn't I just didn't get it. Like I just my dad moved out. Well, I helped him move things to his apartment and I just I don't know, it just didn't really affect me. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know why. I I think I again it was just I think it was just this like idea of like a rumspringer. Like my dad was just taking a break and moving out the house. That was just like the first thing that came to my brain, like at eight years old, nine years old. Right. Okay. So there's your sister and you and your parents are separated. And then how soon after did they get remarried? So um my Dad and my stepmom mm-hmm. got remarried when I was going into seventh grade. Okay. Um, my mom and stepdad met when I was in fifth grade and they were cohabitated for like for a while and they just actually got married like five years ago. Mm, but he, they waited. What they waited longer. Yeah. But my stepdad has been like presently in my life since I was probably 11. Can you tell me some of the things that you had to do differently from other kids just so I can, cause I had to yeah. like do flashcards. I had to like go to tutors. I, it was really hard for me. I was so embarrassed mm, yeah. on a daily basis at school. Like I couldn't read in classes. If the teacher mm-hmm. asked me, I'd be like, no, no, thank you. Um, so I had an aide until I was in seventh grade, I think. Wow. I think it was seventh. Mm-hmm. And I just, re- and the eight, and I also had like academic enrichment. Mm-hmm. So that, with a combination of that, that just helped me with like study skills and like managing my homework. And I have something called like executive processing. Mm-hmm. So executive processing means that when someone says something or when someone is talking, you might not be able to code all the information at a faster pace as a neurotypical person does. Right. So executive processing was an issue. I would say those were like the big three, like, organization, executive processing, and definitely like managing like my mood from, Mm. you know, like anything, if anything was like off balance, just like trying to manage my mood. So Um, what are some of those tools that you learned? Can you remember? Um, so, well, one of the things for executive processing that I guess I could say as a lifesaver was when I was 16. So my sophomore year, my mom, um, had, well, it was really my speech therapist Mm -hmm. had found this, um, this, there was this thing that came out and it's called the listening program. And it was like this brand new, 
uh, how do I say it? it's this brand new technological system that helps integrate the two parts of your brain to communicate with each other. Okay. So what was happening was before I was 16, the left and right side of my brain were not communicating with each other. And that's why I was struggling with like reading convert. I, I wasn't really struggling, but it was taking me longer to like read comprehend, like to understand reading passages or yes. um, trying to like organize like, like my essays or even just, um, and it like also goes back to like communicating with like my peers, like the, this listening program, I've been doing it for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it helped me communicate with my peers because there's different like levels in the listening program. And it involves like executive functioning, processing and like communication. And also okay. I think there's like a part where it involves like, um, like motor skills. So like motor ability. So like not falling down. Yeah. And I started doing it when I was 16 Essentially, what you do is that you listen to these headphones. Um, um, they have when I got them, it was through an iPod because this was okay. back in 2010, and it was these structured headphones with the iPod, and you essentially listen to orchestra music. And oh, orchestra, really? Yes, you listen to orchestra music, and you're listening to different instruments, but basically you're listening to the, you're listening to different instruments at the same time. Okay. And what it does is that it helps the two parts of your brain, your left and right brain to communicate with one another. Um, there's actually an app for it. So I just have the app on my phone and I listen to it through these you know, Sony headphones that I have here. Can you share the app in case anyone, you know, yeah, definitely. if anything's resonating, let's like share the app to help. What is it called? It's called ABT listening program. Um, yeah, it's an app. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just looking at it now. So yeah, so it's called the listening program by advanced brain technologies um, I believe, and I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think it's when you start, it's $35 a month. Okay. Um, that's what I currently pay. I think when it first came out, it was a lot more expensive because you had to get the actual kit and the iPod. I don't mm-hmm. know if they have that anymore because technology has evolved in the last 12 years, but there's like an actual website for it and their headquarters are in Utah. Mm-hmm. I would, I would 100% recommend it if to say, I guess you could say it was a lifesaver because I've been using it for the last almost 13 years. Yeah. I would say it's an effective tool if you've been using yes. it for 13 years, but when you just said, you know, reading comprehension, you, all of that, I literally, my entire body was like, I know how that feels. Mm-hmm. So would you be in class and school? Did other kids know you are autistic or did they just think you had a learning disability? Like, how did you handle that stress? Cause I didn't handle it. Well, I t- really like shut down as a human. Like I let my learning disability kind of run my life, but it sounds like you had such great support. So how was that for you? So I think in middle school and early high school, it was mm-hmm. very difficult because I really wanted to have friends and a cohort of friends. 
but I didn't have that. Yeah. Um, and the other thing was when I was in seventh grade, I moved, I moved to a new town. So moving in middle school, I mean, middle school is awkward in general, but oh, moving yeah. to middle school is torture. Like, torture. Yeah, yeah, torture. <laughs> um, it's awkwardness on top of awkwardness. Mm-hmm. So I moved at a very, I guess you could say a very bizarre time in my life. Um, and so, yeah, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade were pretty like awkward. I think yeah. the 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 main things that really helped me were one, I started running in seventh grade, and that really helped because I me I started to like well, one, I was doing like an extracurricular activity. I had done swimming before, but this really like. As this really helped my, you know, my social emotional behavior because I was doing a team sport. Yeah. Um, so I did cross country and track and I did that competitively for 10 years. Mm. I did it from seventh grade until my senior year of college. Um, so that helped me like, like be part of a team, be part of yes. something other than yourself. So that would be like, a if you have a child, maybe getting them into a sport that they enjoy, obviously not yeah. pushing it on them. They have to enjoy it, but mm-hmm. that might be something. Cause I didn't yes. do that. I didn't join any sports or anything. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I joined a sport. Mm-hmm. I also did. So like, I, I don't know how your high school was, but my high school was very competitive. And when I got to high school, um, I just, I don't know, I kind of just hit the ground running. Like I really like wanted to do well in high school for myself. So I pushed myself, probably pushed myself a little bit too hard at times. Um, so like I did track and cross country. I, you were uh, overachiever. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, I was an overachiever. I was much. not. I was oh, not. I, was, I didn't I want was, to go to college. I didn't want to do any of that. I was like not oh, no, interested. I was, I was hardcore overachiever. I did choir. <laughs> um, I was in the National Honor Society. I did a couple. You thrived. Of- <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe you should be doing this, and I should be coming on talking about the secret of my learning disability and being bullied. You thrived. Like you huh? really. Did. Yeah. <laughs> I took five AP classes. I was in the National Honor Society. People. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I yeah, I really to say like I was an overachiever was an understatement. An like, understatement. I, really, I but like again, I went to a very competitive high school. Like people in my high school went to Ivy League schools and like Stanford and Georgetown and like Emory. So like those very top niche schools. And I wanted to like fit in with my peers. Well, here's the thing. It's like when you're saying that right now, it's really beautiful because you took something that made you different and you got the tools and your, it sounds like your parents really supported you and got you what you needed to keep succeeding in our society is whatever you want to call it. But you really just thrived and it almost like gave you this upper hand of like you're unique in a beautiful way, you know, because I believe people with autism or learning disabilities, our brains work differently. And it's a very beautiful thing I see now, but it's still, I still have residue of being bullied. Did you ever get bullied or no? Um, a little bit in eighth grade. Okay. Um, 
But I actually like went to the guidance counselor because I was getting bullied because I was not not happy. Um, But the thing is, Brianne, like I I felt like, you know, I did not like having autism. And I think in a way I was almost trying to like make myself try to be neurotypical. So while Mm -hmm. I was like really thriving and pushing myself, I was almost like trying to... I was trying to like push myself out of autism. Yeah, like, like was, run from it. Like keep it yeah. a lie almost to yourself, a secret yeah, almost to yourself. Like trying, it's not there. It's not there. It's not there. I was trying to, I basically was telling myself like by the time I graduate from high school, I have to be cured or be like get all my supports out. I have to not. Well, I think it was something among the lines of like, I really. I can't have, like, I just, I can't have any more support after I graduate. Like, these are the four years that I have to, like, crunch down and, like, grind and make sure that I can be, you know, be independent and self-sufficient by 18. But I think I took that almost a little bit too personally and literally because everyone has support services beyond high school, And like, I wish I had known that because I I don't think I would have stressed myself out or, you know, would have stretched myself in all the time because I was really, I think I pushed myself. I'm glad that I pushed myself, but I was almost pushing myself in a way to like survive. Yeah. And And it's like superhuman effort. It's like this superhuman effort. And then you get to what graduating high school. And then did you just like give up all your support system? Like what happened? So when I graduated high school, I was actually kind of burnt out, to be honest. I You think? (laughs) Jeez, I'm burnt out while you're telling me (laughs) everything you were doing. I'm like, can I take a nap? Like I'm tired. (laughs) Yeah, I was definitely like burnt out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And But like back in 2012, the expectation was to go to college. Yes. Um, And like now they say you shouldn't go to college. Just so you know, like new studies are saying you can actually do better without college. Yeah. So like I wish I had taken like maybe a break Mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe like taken a semester off just to like just to chill out a little bit. But I was still in that like go, go at go 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 attitude yeah um, and like wanting to thrive and when I got to college even though even though I was I could utilize my support systems like I could get extra time on tests Mm -hmm. and I could take a test in a quiet room I wasn't using that at first and looking back on that I I kind of think I'm 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 the biggest idiot because I was shooting myself in the foot. Yeah, no, I did too. Like taking the SATs and tests, I didn't use those extra tools I could have because I didn't want to feel different from anybody else. Yeah. So like when I got to college, I was trying to essentially trying to be like the typical college student that you see like the, you know, in TV and media and just like... I was, I was shooting myself in the foot and I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I'm not like, you know, I, my parents are paying a lot of money for me to go here and I want to do well. And I had to, what made me feel more comfortable about myself when I got to college is unlike high school, 
or even like, you know, the K through 12 system. I think people in college tend to be a little bit more like open about their vulnerabilities. So that's what I talked about in my TED talk was that people had these like invisible letters. So like for me, um, my invisible letter was A for autism, but I had met people whether it was like my track team and I was also in Greek life or through like other organizations who are going through these insecurities and you would have never known it. So it it made me feel like less alone. And that's when I realized I had to be like more authentic to myself. Mm. So what do you remember? Like the first step doing it, doing the Ted talk, was that like the moment you like felt a freedom from that bondage of self or was there a moment you can remember that you're like aha that was like the thing that I I I something switched so I can't I guess you could say like I started to reveal that I was autistic in little baby steps so I revealed to my classmates that I had autism in my senior year because I shared my college speech Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. in a class and that was I remember that was like the first time that I'd done that and then I think it was around like my sophomore year of college that's when I started to like meet people it wasn't really a specific person it was just like different friends or acquaintances who are kind of just going through like different you know different vulnerabilities that you would have never life struggles things yeah yeah and that's what made me you know reveal my own insecurities and what I had gone through. Here's my question though. Did you have any like backlash? Did anybody ever make you feel bad or was it just this warm, like we, we, we accept you for who you are. So, um, everyone, like everyone was accepting. I had one teammate Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to go into like a lot of detail about this. He just like did not like me for like personal reasons and essentially was trying to like bully me, but that's just like another, <laughs> that's like another, you know, therapy session. But um, You know, I love a good therapy session. Yes. I mean, come on. No, but, but I, but th- that's what I'm trying to teach my son. What you just said, I said, not everybody's going to like you and you're never going to understand why some people are just not going to like you. Yeah. At that point, I just like didn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I didn't need permission for him to like me. Um, but like, yeah, I felt very welcomed and it helped me like succeed in college. And I eventually, you know, did very well. I got, you know, this very prestigious award my senior year that was only given to like think 20 students. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to graduate school and got a master's in higher ed. And currently I do, um, my background is in research and evaluation. That's what I do for my current career. Wow. You're still an overachiever. Uh. <laughs> but yeah. that's a beautiful thing. It's like, your autism didn't slow you down. It probably even made you even have more life experiences and learn more things in a different way. And, and you're actually like making me proud that (laughs) I have like a learning disability because for so long I kept it such a secret and I was in so much shame for so long. Neurodiverse people, they are like, 
their own little like what's the word? They're Cl- they're their own little creature of habit. Like right? they have so much. Like you're start you're an actress and you're starting this podcast. Like you have so much to be grateful for. <laughs> I know, and I wrote a book and it was bestseller, and I was like, oh my god, I did that. Like I still to this day, I'm like, I did that. What do you ever have? Do you ever have those moments where you're like, I did that? Like your TED yeah, talk where you yeah. like, I did that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on. But I do have a couple more questions before. If there's any parents out there or anybody that's like, oh, my God, this is hitting a core of something going on with my child or even with myself, what would be your first advice for them? Don't freak out. (laughs) Don't freak out. Don't go go into panic. (laughs) Don't freak out. Mm -hmm. Um. I think my best, well, the one thing I would recommend is looking into the listening program. I mean, like to say that was a lifesaver is an understatement. Okay. Um, Get your child involved in like extracurricular activities. Obviously they have to enjoy it. Like you can't really, if they're not enjoying it, then you don't want to push them too hard. Yeah. Um, Because then they're going to get like acclimated, like you said, into doing something outside of themselves internally. Well, thank you. And we will link that learning app and learning program below so people can go to it and see what it is and all that. Is there anything else you want the listeners to know about your journey, about like releasing yourself of the secret and baby steps throughout the years? Is there any any closing words you want to say? I just want to say thank you to my family and friends who believed in me when there were times I didn't believe in myself. That makes me want to cry. (laughs) And where where can people find you if they have any questions or anything? Yeah, so they can email me. Uh, My email is maxcorden, K-O-R-T-E-N, 26 at gmail.com. I would also say like for people... Um, because there's also been a growing trend of like adults being diagnosed with autism. Yeah. There's a LinkedIn group that I follow. It's called non-neurodivergent. I think that's the name of it. Okay. Um, but it's for professionals who are neurodivergent and just trying to like navigate the workforce. Great. And that's really helped me because I've met, because when I started working, I really didn't know any other neurodivergent individuals in the workforce. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for coming on. Thank you, Brianne. <laughs> if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time.
Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you'd like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon. Thanks again.